Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. We're going to have a big conversation on today's program. We're going to talk about the coming reports this Friday from USDA. We'll have both planting intentions and quarterly grain stocks. Matt Bennett of agmarket.net will join us in just a moment. Then in segment two, we're going to talk with John Baranek of DTN Weather about what is going to be coming forward here in this week's forecast. Before we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the cattle industry with Lance Zimmerman, lead protein economist there with Robo Agra Finance, we're going to talk about the potential for this herd to rebuild as we get through 2023. Let's dive into these markets here in the overnight as the trade kicks off on the week today. We've got corn mixed, beans up a little bit, and wheat trying to find some green on the screen. Matt Bennett, agmarket.net, joins us today. Matt, always appreciate your, uh, your taking the time to talk with us. Absolutely, bud. I appreciate you having me. Let's talk through this week, Matt. We've got a lot of data coming on Friday. Ag Market has been working on your estimates. Let's talk through planting intentions. Where do you think American growers are going to come down this growing season? You know, we came out with our number, oh, 90, or, uh, 91.35. And basically, you know, when you look at last year, corn and bean acreage were very close. And so, obviously, it was excessively dry in the western corn belt. Uh, but it was uh, to the start last year as well. And we kind of feel like this year, parts of the western corn belt are a little bit better shape. And we kind of feel like maybe that's going to translate to some of those big bean acres last year. Uh, maybe winning out on corn acres this year, especially the kind of profit margins. You know, anybody who had corn last year obviously made quite a bit of money. So uh, we got to think that corn wins the acreage battle this year. But uh, I know I've seen a lot of interesting numbers come out uh, based on the growers that we talk to and uh, the folks that we work with. Uh, that's kind of where we're hanging our hat right now. 87.9 is our bean number. So we're thinking it'll be a good solid 3 million acres more corn than beans. All right, 91.35 in corn, 87 and change there on the soybean number. Matt, what, all wheat numbers, do you guys differ much from the USDA's Ag Outlook Forum on that total? No, we're just a shade over 49. I think they're 49.5 on the uh, Outlook Forum. I think we're around 49, 149.2. But, I mean, regardless, I mean, I think the biggest question on wheat is, you know, are we going to retain all those wheat acres? Uh, is it going to be in good enough shape uh, to see us be able to avoid, uh, for instance, uh, you know, some abandonment. And at this stage of the game, I think there's parts of the corn or wheat belt, if you will, that are in a little bit better shape than others. I think when you get in a southwest quadrant in Kansas, I mean, you're certainly going to be susceptible to losing maybe a few wheat acres in there because they uh, really haven't been able to participate in the, uh, you know, the, uh, the improvement, if you will. But I think that's the biggest question. I do think that you're going to come in somewhere in that 49 area as far as all wheat acres go for this report, though. All right, Matt, I'm curious, one of the concerns we've had over the past couple of years, last year in particular, really the dearth of prevent plant acres. It was so dry in that second year of La Nina, we did not have many acres not go into the ground in early spring. This year, we've got a lot of snow in that Red River Valley. Is prevent plant going to be a concern, do you think, for this market as we get a little farther into spring? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing for me. I mean, I've been up into uh, a couple weeks ago, I was up in Minnesota, and the farther north you go in Minnesota, of course, there's a fair amount of snow cover. Now, 
I don't think they were as concerned about the snow cover, so to speak, as the, what they were about the combination of the snow cover and the forecast. So the forecast really doesn't look all that great. Uh, it doesn't look like uh, any part of the Corn Belt is really going to be able to get started and going anytime soon. And so I think you could push back just a little bit, first of all. Second of all, you know, unless we see a real resurgence in these prices, you know, there might be some folks that are a little bit hesitant to uh, uh, get super aggressive. I know these prices historically are really good, but given where input costs have been over the last year, I do think that some growers might be more inclined to take prevent plan on a year like this, especially if you push us back too far. So I definitely think it's going to be a big talking point moving forward, but we probably need to get about, oh, I don't know, another three, four weeks out before we talk about it too much. That makes sense. Let these forecasts firm up a little bit, Matt. All right. So that's the agmarket.net outlook on planting intentions. I'd like to get your take on the quarterly grain stocks numbers also coming out on Friday. Matt, this corn market has been looking for a reason to keep this rally going. Could we find it in the quarterly stocks report? That's going to be a tough call. Okay, so, you know, the way you see this market play out, I mean, today we're actually seeing some of this bull spreading unwind. I've got to think it was due to, uh, you know, essentially a lot of producers have seen a little bit of a corn rally here lately over the last couple of weeks, you know, and maybe reward that. Because in some areas, the rally was actually accompanied by basis staying steady to maybe even a little firmer. So in that particular situation, I think uh, some growers who were fairly nervous there for a while on that uh, uh, whenever May corn, for instance, uh, blew through some of our support, you know, and, and took a nosedive, I think some of those folks stepped in, maybe sold a little bit of corn. But whenever I look at how firm the spreads have been, when I look at how strong basis has been, that tells me that the demand has been awfully strong. And so maybe you do get a little bit of a shot in the arm out of quarterly stocks. But I'll tell you, Mike, uh, these quarterly stocks reports, especially early in the marketing year, scare me. Uh, we've seen some really wild numbers in the past. And so, you know, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to base any marketing plan on, on, on a hope type strategy based on the uh, quarterly stocks, but I would say uh, my, my, general, uh, my general feeling is always, it goes back to watching spread and watching basis. And I think those two things would tell you usage has been pretty darn strong so far. Matt, you make a great point about these government reports sometimes throwing a, uh, a curveball number in at us. With that being the case and the trade so hungry for data, are you encouraging farmers to manage any risk ahead of Friday's reports? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that in the last week or so, we've kind of turned a little bit, um, you know, when you start seeing uh, these sales, we've turned a little bit more of a supportive tone, at least uh, neutral. Uh, but at the same time, Mike, I tell you, you got to be really cautious just to get bullish, especially, you know, when you're looking at, for instance, a new crop situation on these corn. You know, as you and I talk, we're in that 562, 563 area. You know, and you take basis off of that, and all of a sudden you're looking at some cash prices for fall that, for a lot of growers, actually don't leave a whole lot of meat on the bone. So my personal feeling, uh, while it might be supportive to friendly corn for the time being, that doesn't mean as a grower that I don't need to at least be setting some sort of a floor into place, putting a worst-case scenario in place, because the bottom line is if this thing plummets for whatever reason, and it may plummet for reasons that we don't necessarily agree with, if it does and we're sitting there in, a, in, a, in an exposed situation, we could be looking at our profit margins shrinking even more. And that's something I don't think we can afford to see. No, that's so true, Matt. Speaking of those profit margins shrinking, crude oil stronger today, up $1.50 here. Is this crude rally back on, do you think? 
You know, the crude rally, in my opinion, has has definitely have has a bit of a chance. But the thing is, you know, you're getting above, you know, just your shortest term uh, moving average uh, this morning. Uh, are you going to make a run back up towards this 20-day? I mean, that's up here at 73.44. I mean, basically crude plummeted from, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my personal opinion is that you would stay rage-bound. Um, I thought all winter we were just going to stay between 70 and $80, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get down into the 60s. I think it's a good sign that we're back here on the, on the positive here this morning, but is the rally back on? I think there remains a lot to be seen. There is a fair amount of unrest, of course, in the world. You've got to be careful about doing too much here. That's so true, folks. That's Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Keep up to speed with all the work they're doing ahead of these Friday reports there at their website. It's in their name, agmarket.net. Matt Bennett, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, bud. Have a great week. And folks, stick around. John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather, will join us with an outlook for the week ahead when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. 
Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to M. Gentlemen. Last week, March 20th, the calendar flipped to spring, and with that flip comes an increased risk of severe weather, a risk that was absolutely on display this past weekend. Joining us for an update on the weather, both last weekend and in the week ahead, is DTN Weathers' John Baranek. John, if you would, bring us up to speed on the devastation that happened this past weekend. Yeah, Mike, that was a really strong storm system that kind of moved up, uh, de developed in Texas and Oklahoma there on, on Thursday, and then kind of rode northeast up through the uh, uh, Ohio Valley there for Friday into Saturday. And uh, the system, you know, it, it produced a, a few um, severe weather reports in Texas and Oklahoma, but once it got kind of towards um, the, uh, the lower Mississippi Valley, things really took off there on Friday. We saw uh, several... Um, uh, little lines and clusters of storms moving through and then a couple of really isolated strong tornadoes that moved through as well. So uh, I think there was a lot of publicity about uh, one that went through uh, Mississippi there and unfortunately killed uh, 24 people on the, uh, on the latest count that I saw. Um, but it, it that severe weather really continued through the weekend as well. The cold front to that system just hung out across the southern the southern states there, just kind of north of the Gulf of Mexico. And we saw Saturday and, and Sunday produce widespread hail and wind damage reports as well. So, um, yeah, we, we're in the thick of a severe weather season now. We certainly are, John. As you look to this week ahead, does that active pattern start to slow down at all? Uh, for the first couple of days here this week, it's not going to be too bad. We still have that front down in the south, and there's still some uh, showers down there for today and tomorrow. Um, severe weather is kind of muted, but it's still possible uh, both days. Um, but elsewhere, there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, there's a, a couple of small little systems moving through, kind of a, a burst of cooler air that's going to move through the northern plains early, uh, in the next couple of days. Um, but we're looking at the West again for the next system. That's going to be moving into Northern California and Oregon here uh, tomorrow or late tonight and tomorrow. Uh, and that system later this week is going to produce another big storm here um, for, for later this week. So it really enters into the plains on Thursday and uh, really Thursday night through Friday at least. It looks like we've got a really good chance of severe weather both in the eastern plains and through the Midwest. Um, the Storm Prediction Center is already keying in on on that potential. They were actually last week, which is kind of um, unusual uh, to talk about severe weather like a week in advance. But they were on top of it, and uh, we'll continue to, to watch that potential. It looks like that's going to be a good storm to produce some severe weather. All right. So the timing on that next weather maker, John, you said Thursday coming into the northern Great Plains first and then Friday expanding eastward. Is that the risk? For the severe weather part of it, it looks like the Southern Plains on Thursday. And then on Friday, it's more of a kind of a Mississippi Valley type. So kind of the Northern Delta region through kind of Northern uh, Illinois 
as, as kind of the, the, the key spot right now. That may change over the course of the next couple of days, depending on timing and, and, and everything else. But uh, that's what we're looking at for right now. And John, severe weather risks in this storm. Are we just talking a deluge of rain? Is it tornadoes, hail, all of the above? What uh, what do we need to keep an eye out for? March, April, it's almost always all of the above. So um, yeah, just about everything will be possible with this. Um, maybe lightning won't be as significant as it would be during the summer season. But uh, yeah, just, just about everything it will be on the table with this. All right, John. Now, you also mentioned ahead of that system coming through, there's a cold shot running through the northern prairies. And that got me thinking about something both Matt Bennett and uh, Dwayne Bussey have both brought up, which is the risk of flooding in that Red River Valley. Of course, they have a pile of snow throughout that entire river basin up there through the Red River Valley of the Dakotas. And I'm wondering, what does the forecast look like? Is that all going to melt quickly or right now? Will it stay on the surface for a while? Well, that's the concern. Um, I mean, it, it is a deep snowpack up there, and I'm kind of on the southern edge of it myself in Minnesota. Uh, I've luckily had enough warmish weather temperatures in the low 40s to start melting some of it. But up in North Dakota and northern Minnesota, up into the Canadian prairies, I mean, those guys have yet to see a temperature above 40 degrees. So uh, that snowpack isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And it's really holding down temperatures this week, and we're getting reinforcing cold shots from Canada. So that's not going to move here for the next couple of weeks. And, you know, with the storm system moving through later this week, we'll probably get another band of snow um, on the northern edge of it, which looks like it'll go through South Dakota, through Wisconsin. So we may be adding to that snowpack. Um, and, you know, the, the concern is, is then at, at some point, temperatures have to catch up to spring. Um, and if they do too quickly, this is all going to melt really quick. Um, and there's a lot of of actual uh, liquid water in these. If you were to melt down all the snow, it's about four to six inches of actual rainfall in this snow. So it's a good two plus months of, of rainfall just hidden in that snow. And, you know, it, again, if, if we, if we melt it off too quickly, which may happen here uh, later in April and into May, um, that, that could spell trouble for flooding. Absolutely, John. And the worst case scenario is if we get a warm up and a series of rain events come through at the same time. And I'm curious with these this atmospheric rivers that keep hitting California, A, does it look like those are going to continue? And B, are those storms, could they push over the Rockies and dump more more rain in the uh, northern Corn Belt? Uh, that's, uh, you know, the, the storms kind of are, are changing the way they, they're moving. So what we saw before with all these big atmospheric rivers was a jet stream that basically ran right across the Pacific Ocean. Um, now we're getting more into uh, what we typically see is where, where we have these troughs setting up across the West, not really pulling in a whole bunch of moisture from the Pacific. Um, so it's not as bad as it, I, I guess, could have been or used to be uh, what we saw over the course of the winter season. Um, so I think that's at least in, uh, a, a benefit. Um, but these storms just keep coming. So <laughs> it's it's not like even if, if the overall um, – moisture production isn't as efficient as it had been we're still adding a whole bunch of of precipitation to those western states especially um whether or not that makes it across the, the rockies and into the plains and it's kind of questionable however i will say um you know the more we warm up the atmosphere here going into spring even if it's colder up to the north we're warming it up towards the south and we're able to to uh, get a lot more moisture off the Gulf of Mexico to help feed some of these storms. So it has to be something we need to watch. 
All right. We'll continue to keep an eye on then what's developing there in the West Coast. But, John, while we've got you, I want to turn our focus down to Brazil. We've been tracking the harvest of their soybean crop and then the planting of their safrina crop here in the wet season. But that transition to the dry season is coming. What's it look like down there across Brazil now? Yeah, so Brazil saw their wet season showers really become isolated last week. So they had been pretty uh, thick and consistent, widespread and heavy for months um, but that has really tapered off here last week. Um, they're still around. So, I mean, there's still pockets of showers moving through, but it's nothing to what they need to see here over the course of this month. It's kind of interesting because we were talking about how wet it had been in central Brazil. And now that it's getting dry, they kind of need that wetness to continue because once that dry season hits, everything is downhill from there. So they really need to get this uh, Safrina corn crop through pollination before this wet season, these wet season rains shut down. Now, um, the the outlook continues to be for below normal precipitation across central Brazil all the way through the month of April. And so we are concerned then about their safrina corn crop actually making it to pollination um, with at least some good soil moisture around. Because if they don't, then, you know, pollination doesn't go well. Temperatures are still in the upper 80s and middle 90s. And, um, uh you know, with, with that wet season uh, coming to a close, they, they don't add any precipitation. It's just like going through uh, Kansas last year um, with, you know, all the, all the heat and, and dryness and, and no real significant hope to, to fill out your crop. So um, that, that's something we are very closely watching. Uh, right now, it's not a big concern just because they've had all that rain, all the soil moisture is there right now, and they're still having some shower spotting over the area. But, you know, as we get deeper into April, uh, we're going to have to see if that continues to, to see if there is any significant damage that really occurs to that crop there. Well, John, while we're on the topic of South America, last week I know you highlighted the potential of Argentina to receive some heavy rains. Did they, and did it turn that crop around? Well, they sure got the rains. Um, we saw lots of heavy rain moving through Argentina. And actually, this week is, is another kind of one of those weeks where they'll have plenty of more showers. However, as we saw from the crop conditions that came out of the country, uh, nothing really changed with it. These rains are just way too late. Uh, if they had come, you know, a couple of months earlier in January or maybe even in a part of February, they might've seen some sort of a turnaround, but, uh, it just, it just really, just really didn't matter too much, unfortunately for those folks down there. So the, the lower, um, uh, crop ratings and the, and the production numbers we're seeing out of that country are likely to continue to, to be sustained there, even though we've got the heavier rain. All right, folks, still stories to develop here out of South America that could move our markets. We've been talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Good to talk to you. And folks, stick around. Lance Zimmerman, lead protein economist with Robo AgriFinance, will join us here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's matchingdonors.com. Matchingdonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit matchingdonors.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The commodity markets will continue to be vulnerable to headline risks this week, although those seem to have calmed down to start the week. Wall Street continues to be very sensitive to signs of bank vulnerability in the current rising interest rate environment. Those factors that impact money flow will also be at risk for the commodity markets in a world of algos and massive fund investment. However, this is also a week that frequently focuses the trade on supply and demand fundamentals for the spring. USDA will release the results of two significant surveys on Friday. The first will reveal farmer planting intentions for the coming growing season. That triggers the switch toward focusing on spring planting prospects to see if farmers will actually be able to plant those intentions. Two areas to watch will be the northwestern Corn Belt, where snowpack remains quite deep, and the Mid-South, where rains have slowed early field work. Now, the second survey will reveal all grain stocks in storage as of March 1st. This report is known for its market-moving surprises, especially for corn, with implications for feed usage trends. Look for the market to slowly increase its focus on Midwest weather patterns as we move beyond Friday's reports. Bank shares stabilized overnight, easing concerns on Wall Street for today. Following the takeover of Silicon Valley Bank, by First Citizens over the weekend. Reuters reports that First Citizens bank shares bought all of SVB's loans and deposits while giving the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation equity rights in its stock worth as much as $500 million in return. Now, it appears that First Citizens also has an agreement with regulators to share losses to provide further protection against potential credit losses. Now, there's a cost to the bank failures, many of which were the product of poor decisions, but there's a bigger cost to be paid by the erosion of confidence in the nation's banking system. Investors hope that the recent actions by regulators have come a long way toward reinstating confidence in the banking system, although we will still likely have some bumpy times ahead. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're going to turn our focus over to the protein market. Joining us for this next segment is Lance Zimmerman. He serves as the Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Robo Agri Finance. And Lance, thanks so much for joining us here today. Good morning. Happy to be here, Mike. I want to talk, I want to start our conversation here with the cattle market's performance over the past couple of weeks. Lance, we saw outside market volatility really throw a wrench into the grain markets. We saw it throw a wrench into the bond and equity markets. And yet cattle came off their highs a little bit, but still held up remarkably well. What does that tell you about the state of the cattle industry here in 2023? Yeah, as you look at the cattle markets, obviously the outside money, uh, the the concerns in the equity market, concerns in the grain market eventually crept over into the cattle market too as we navigated through the last couple of weeks. But you're right, um, you know, after putting in the highs, uh, right around 167.50 on the the spot contract, we bottomed things out in the low 160s. But even the last two days, I should say Friday and today's early trade. Uh, has been about a dollar higher. And so as you look at the markets, the cattle markets are showing some resilience. And I think it's because the markets recognize two things. One, as we've come into the first roughly 90 days of 2023, demand has actually performed much better than we all would have thought, I think, coming through this period. Really robust choice select spread, really robust prime choice spreads, just a strong underlying cutout. Uh, And then Certainly, as we look ahead, I think the markets recognize that cattle supplies are going to tighten. We're starting to see that with some year-over-year declines in feed yard placements, and we should be pretty comfortable with the idea that placements into feed yards are going to be in year-over-year decline most months from now through the end of the year. All right. Lance, you mentioned those incredible spreads we've seen, Choice Select and then, of course, Choice Prime as well. Are we to a point where those higher end consumers, the folks who are writing those big checks for Prime or the big checks for Choice, are they carrying profitability in the cattle complex here? Um, I, I may not go as far as saying that they carry profitability just yet. You know, as we look at the high grain prices, the strong grain basis levels that exist as you navigate through the central plains, especially the south central plains, I, I would tell you feeding margins are, are still awfully tight, especially as we look ahead through the summer months. Uh, the prospects of robust profits are, are probably eluding a lot of producers through that area of the country. But as we look at it, one thing it is doing when you talk about those higher quality markets is it's providing probably a more stable demand base than maybe what we all would have expected, especially coming out of the pandemic, where we've taught a whole segment of consumers how to cook again. And I think they recognize that not only can they get really high quality beef at a white tablecloth restaurant, but they can also get it at home by buying it at the grocery store. And I think we're seeing perhaps some of the fruits uh, of that demand building and that demand resilience showing through in this market. And that certainly bodes good news for producers as grain prices continue to come under some pressure, um, allowing us to get just a little bit better demand base, a little more consistency in the market, and hopefully some better profitability going forward. Lance, I want to spend some time with you on the supply constraints here in the cattle market. But before we change gears, I want to focus a little more deeply on that demand side. As you look out for the cattle uh, market's perspective here into 2023, what factors will you be watching to see if demand is weakening? What's the early warning in your mind? 
I think it's coming right here over the next basically 30 to 45 days. Uh, we're going to go through a period here, typically in this late March, early April period, where the cutout does tend to lag back just a little bit and take a breather after having usually what amounts to a, a good March rally. And that happened just seasonally right on track. Uh, and so as the cutout here finds some support, I'm going to be watching what level does it find support at? And then more importantly, what level does it grind higher toward as we look at that late April, early May time period? You know, if you would have told me uh, 60 to 90 days ago uh, that we'd be sitting here talking about a cutout that has potential into the spring highs uh, above 290 and, and towards $3 on a, a choice select weighted basis, uh, I don't know if I would have believed that. But that's certainly the realm of possibility that we're in now. I, I think somewhere. 295, maybe upwards of $300 a hundredweight is definitely in the cards as we look to that early May period where retailers and food service operators really gear up for the better travel season that comes with the warmer weather. And then, of course, all those grilling holidays that we like to talk about. That's right. Get those grills clean, folks. The American cattle producer needs that demand. Let's talk about supply, Lance, because that's where the cattle industry is getting interesting in 2023, or at least that's the data we've got that highlights how interesting the industry is getting. The question is, when will this cattle cycle bottom? Of course, you've written several reports on this. Lance, what's your impression? Where do we sit here in the, the drawdown of cattle supplies because of the market? Yeah. You know, as you look at where we are today, uh, beef cow slaughter, the good news in, in beef cow slaughter is that we've come off of the crazy highs of 2022. Uh, we started out January on a tear with beef cow slaughter, but it's really slowed down as we navigated through February and March uh, to the point where now our, our numbers on a weekly slaughter basis are right around 60 to 65,000 head a week over the last couple reported weeks. That's on par with kind of the five-year average and 2021. Now, the silver lining is that we're, we're down from 2022, basically down about 10,000 head a week. Uh, the challenge is even 2021 stood as its was the highest level of culling uh, in 10 years until it surpassed by last year. And so as we navigate through this, I wanna continue to see us be below even 2021. That'll give us some confidence that the culling activity is trying to fight its way to an end uh, and that we can have more confidence that a, a bottom in these inventory numbers is coming sooner rather than later. But the reality is even at 2021 slaughter levels, we're still culling a, enough of the herd that we're going to see declines to start 2024. And then we got to start talking about if we get better moisture prospects towards the end of the year, can we actually get enough to encourage some heifer retention in that fall calf crop and really then draw supplies lower, not just in 2024, but 2025, more so out of motivation to keep heifers on ranches, take them out of beef production and build the herd going forward. So this year's probably still a, a downtrend, probably even 2024. And then we can hope it's a downtrend, but with positive implications in 25 as we start to see rebuilding. All right, Lance. And as that rebuilding happens, as we come off eventually the bottom of this cattle cycle, it's going to, I imagine, look very different than coming off the bottom of the cattle cycle in 2014 and 2015. What are some of the ways you think the business environment has changed a lot around the cattle cycle? Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm watching really closely is how does the industry as a whole 
respond to higher interest rates. Obviously, being a bank, interest rates are a part of our day-to-day business, even if I'm not a banker and I sit on the market analysis side of the company. Uh, but I still watch that very carefully. Uh, one of the things that I, I try to tell cow-calf producers is I understand, especially if you're more of a farmer than you are a rancher. In other words, you get more of your income perhaps from, from crop farming or other enterprises than you truly do the cattle business, that maybe interest rates don't impact you intimately day in and day out uh, because you have a stronger cash position with where the, the farming enterprise has been over the last several years. But at the same time, even if those interest rates aren't impacting you as you look ahead to rebuilding your particular cow herd, these higher interest rates do have an effect on all of us in tempering our ability to take risk, in tempering our, our creativity sometimes, and, and certainly stifling investment in production agriculture. And so I'm watching that as we navigate through this phase of the cattle cycle, because not only do we have to wrestle with the cost of doing business going up, but we also have to wrestle with the fact that we probably have continual pressures in generational transfer coming. As we look at the age of the cow-calf producer, uh, they add uh, two to five years of age over even feedlot operators. And and certainly as we look at the cow-calf producer relative to pork uh, hog producers, uh, egg laying and and broiler producers, the cow-calf producer is the oldest producer among the livestock segments. And so we know we have a lot of generational transfer likely happening as we go through uh, the transition from the current cattle cycle we're in and bottoming it and working towards the next cattle cycle and the peak that can follow. Lance, that's a really great point about the generational shift that has to happen here with the cow-calf producer. And the last time I saw a lot of excitement from young folks interested in the cattle industry was 2014, 2015, and they were buying bread heifers near the top of the market. And what do you think about that today? Should those folks be planning a little bit more aggressively for some of the, uh, the issues they're going to be grappling with? I think so. I, I think, you know, as as young producers and the enthusiasm that exists around uh, production agriculture today and obviously the cattle business, I, I think the biggest thing is due diligence. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you understand what your cost of production are. Uh, have conversations with your your livestock genetics provider, whether that's a a semen company, a seed stock producer, have conversations with nutritionists and bankers, have conversations with your neighbors, have conversations with some of those producers that have been through some of the challenges have fought a few wars, so to speak, in this industry and built a solid business plan. You don't need to jump in with both feet, especially if you're a young producer just starting out. Maybe you lean into this expansion by starting out Uh, having some grazing cattle, having some backgrounding cattle. uh, And then as the market proves itself out, then you can make that investment, that longer term investment in building out your own herd. Great thoughts here from Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Robbo Agri Finance. And Lance, you write a lot on these issues. Where can folks go to keep up with the work you do at Robbo? Absolutely. Just Google Robbo Research Food and Ag Business, and you'll see not only reports from myself, but our grain and oil seed analysts and a lot of our other analysts across the food and ag space. Fantastic, folks. Check that out again. Lance, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Have a great morning. You as well. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. 
As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
Our connections make powerful things happen, uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over one million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org slash action. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. We appreciate being a part of your workday. We've got an update here from the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Service. They recently published their cold storage report. Ties in nicely with some of the conversation we just had there with Lance Zimmerman of Rabo. Total frozen poultry supplies for the month of February up 3% from January of this year and up more than 10% from February one year ago. Total stock of chicken, however, were down slightly from the previous month, but again, up 10% from year-ago levels. And USDA reported that total pounds of turkey in freezers was up 11% from January and 10% higher than a uh, excuse me, than a year ago. However, total red meat supplies in freezers in February were down 3% from January, up 2% from February 2022. Total pounds of beef in freezers were down 6% from January. There's that strong consumer demand that showed itself in February. However, they were still down 6% versus year ago levels. Makes sense given the reduction in slaughter that we have seen so far in this cattle market. We've also got news Coming from Washington, D.C., the cattle industry has been watching closely. Well, not just cattle, I should say all of agriculture and much of industry has been watching the forward movement of a rule in Washington, D.C. from the Securities and Exchange Commission. This is the rule that would require the, the publication of climate-related emissions data. Now, there is frustration on both sides of the aisle with this proposed rule from the SEC, and that frustration spilled into Congress. Two weeks ago, we saw both the House and the Senate approve a resolution that would undo that SEC climate change disclosure reporting rule. Both the House and the Senate voted to pass this uh, this change that would undo the administration's rule. It went to President Biden's desk and he vetoed it. First veto of his presidential administration. The issue then went back to the U.S. House and it did not secure enough votes to override President Biden's veto. So on the SEC climate dis uh, climate disclosure uh, rules, that first rule still stands today. The committee is working on reading through all of the comments. We'll get a final rule on that SEC climate disclosure later on this year because this, this 
legislative act could not override President Biden's veto. It is interesting. The vote was 219 to 200 in the House with one Democrat, Jared Golden of Maine, voting with every Republican in favor of overriding the veto. So we have that currently taking place in Congress. We also have a measure of disapproval about President Biden's WOTUS rule, and that is also floating out there. It is likely he will veto that one as well, should it make it across the finish line there in the House and the Senate. We've also got news coming out, headlines continuing to relate to the 2023 coming farm bill. This morning, we got news from the North American Millers Association that they'd like to see some changes to the way food aid works. Currently, when the U.S. government sends out food aid, typically what they're doing more often than not is sending a check. This started back in the 1980s. We send a check or we send funds so those countries can buy the food they need from either local farmers or someplace nearby. Well, the North American millers say, look, if we're sending American dollars overseas, those dollars should be used to promote American-made stuff. So why don't we just sell them the food? Uh, this was signed by a number of different organizations who are all part of the North American Millers Association. And we'll see if the Biden administration responds to this. Uh, as of yet, they have not. Now, we do have some other news coming out of China. As we closed the week last week, I talked about how this weekend, Brazil's president, Lula da Silva, was going to make his trip over to Beijing to be the first foreign leader to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping after he was elected to his third term. President Lula of Brazil was supposed to take off on Saturday, head to China. That trip was canceled. It was reported late on Friday that President Lula uh, has been diagnosed with the flu and he's not feeling quite up to speed. So they said, quote, all government actions are postponed, including those at the agriculture ministry. This trip currently from Brazil to China is on hold. There's going to be 240 business representatives, 90 of them from agriculture telling Brazil's story in China. It's worth noting we don't have a date as to when this would be rescheduled, uh, but it certainly sounds as though the Brazilians are very keen to make it happen. This comes on the heels of China reporting last week that they are going to allow Brazilian beef back into that country for the first time since February after that BSE, atypical BSE outbreak earlier this year. Around the globe, folks, if you are plugged in to the broader media, there is a series of, of labor strife happening right now. France is currently in a general strike. It has been uh, it has been kicked off as they tried to raise the retirement age. And Germany today is seeing their largest transportation union go on strike. 340,000 travelers across Germany are unable to move. There is no unionized transport in Germany. We've seen labor issues flare up with the railroads in this country. And some of us have seen labor issues at our own organizations over the past two years as the higher cost of living pushes more workers to ask for raises. Well, we could see this spill back into agriculture here as this year moves on because we have another labor dispute simmering just under the surface. In the West Coast of the United States, we've got a series of ports that are vital for shipping American-made goods over the Pacific Ocean. And the 22,000-member International Longshore and Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association, which represents management at these 29 different 
different ports and distribution centers have been locked in a contract dispute for almost a year. Earlier this week, 238 national, state, and local trade associations, including the American Trucking Association, many, many agricultural groups, wrote to President Biden urging the administration to take a more active role in these labor disputes. Now, these have been ongoing for the better part of the past year. However, as the supply chain crisis or was ramping up through 2021 and 2022, a lot of folks got fired up about where this contract could go. We will see if they can get an agreement signed and in the works by the time we get to midsummer, which is when that current contract expires. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA. Join us tomorrow. We'll talk markets with Chris Robinson. We'll also take a look about the growing number of national monuments across America's heartland. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. Call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.